the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. City. WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Download the Faith Talk Tampa app or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. Following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre recorded. While Peter was still preaching the gospel to his audience, the Lord just interrupted him. Nobody walked out, but the Lord just interrupted him by having the Holy Spirit suddenly come upon these Gentiles. Now, unlike my reoccurring, very frustrating nightmare, this interruption was something very wonderful, and it didn't frustrate Peter at all, because it meant that salvation had come to the Gentiles. Now, I'm going to have more to say about this abrupt stoppage of Peter's sermon in just a few minutes, but what I want you to be aware of now is just how important this event really was. You see, as we'll discover in the very next chapter in Acts, Acts chapter 11, some of the Jewish believers in Jerusalem, when they heard what had happened in Caesarea, were not very pleased. Welcome to Verse by Verse, where we are on the home stretch in our series that is titled, The Gospel Comes to the Gentiles. When we started in Acts chapter 10, we learned how God brought Peter, the Jewish apostle, together with Cornelius, the Roman centurion, so that a group of Cornelius' Gentile friends and family could be gathered together to hear the gospel message. As we close in on the end of Acts chapter 10, Luke wraps up this chapter by telling us about Peter's gospel presentation to this group of Gentiles and their positive response to the message of salvation. In fact, their response to the gospel had a very interesting impact on Peter's message. His preaching was interrupted. Ah, but I don't want to get ahead of Pastor Steve, so I'll let him explain what happened in the home of Cornelius while Peter was preaching the gospel. Over the years, I have had a reoccurring nightmare. Now in this nightmare, this nightmare may not take place for many months. There's really no rhyme or reason to it. Sometimes even I go years before it shows up again. But then without warning, out of the blue, it does show up in my dreams. Here's the nightmare. I'm in a church preaching, not necessarily lakeside, But somewhere I'm preaching to an audience. And while I'm speaking, for no apparent reason, people in the audience start getting up and just start leaving. They leave before I'm finished with my sermon. I'm not kidding. This is the dream I have. And in my dream, I'm just left standing in the pulpit, exasperated as to what to do or what to say as the audience simply ignores me and just keeps walking out the doors. Now, I'm very glad to report that this has never actually happened in my 
life. It's just a dream that I have from time to time, and I realize that Freud would have a heyday with this, but that's the dream I've had. However, this morning, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that tells us of an incident when a preacher really wasn't able to complete his sermon before something happened that abruptly interrupted what he was saying, and he was just forced to stop speaking. The incident I'm referring to is found in Acts chapter 10, verses 44 through 48. The preacher who this happened to was the Apostle Peter. So I'd like you to turn in your Bibles there. Acts chapter 10, starting at verse 44. Here's what we read. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. All the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. Then Peter answered, surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did, can he? And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to stay on for a few days. Now, these verses come at the conclusion of this very lengthy chapter in Acts, Acts chapter 10, which as you know is about the gospel message finally, finally after about 10 years coming to the Gentiles, having begun the chapter by telling us how God brought Peter, the Jewish apostle, together with Cornelius, the Roman centurion, so that a group of Cornelius's Gentile friends and family could be gathered together to hear the gospel message, Luke now concludes this chapter by telling us about Peter's gospel presentation to them and their positive response to the message of salvation. And what we read in these verses that close the chapter is that while Peter was still preaching the gospel to his audience, the Lord just interrupted him. Nobody walked out, but the Lord just interrupted him by having the Holy Spirit suddenly come upon these Gentiles. Now, unlike my reoccurring, very frustrating nightmare, this interruption was something very wonderful, and it didn't frustrate Peter at all, because it meant that salvation had come to the Gentiles. Now, I'm going to have more to say about this abrupt stoppage of Peter's sermon in just a few minutes, but what I want you to be aware of now is just how important this event really was. You see, as we'll discover in the very next chapter in Acts, Acts chapter 11, some of the Jewish believers in Jerusalem, when they heard what had happened in Caesarea, were not very pleased. And when they saw Peter, they actually confronted him about this. So we read at the beginning of Acts chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. Now the apostles and the brethren who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those who were circumcised, meaning Jewish believers, took issue with him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men, meaning Gentiles, and you ate with them. Now, eventually, after Peter will explain things to them, what happened about the vision that God gave him and his obedience to that vision, they're going to recognize and they're going to accept that this is the Lord's doing and they will rejoice. And so we read in verse 18, when they heard this, meaning they heard Peter's explanation, they quieted down and glorified God saying, well then, 
God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. And this acceptance of the conversion of Gentiles by the Jerusalem church is extremely significant because in the meantime, unbeknownst to the church at Jerusalem, there were Jewish believers who had escaped the persecution of Saul of Tarsus and they had traveled outside of Israel and they were sharing the gospel with Greek Gentiles in a city called Antioch. And so we read chapter 11, verses 19 through 21. So then those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except to Jews alone. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks, he means Greek Gentiles, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. Now, folks, this was unprecedented, because now, for the first time, you had a situation in which there wasn't simply some Gentiles who were saved. Now you have a lot of them, and they have formed a church consisting primarily of Gentiles. And upon hearing of this, the church at Jerusalem, which now realized that God was saving Gentiles, they wanted to make sure that all of this was authentic. And so they sent Barnabas, remember Barnabas, the son of encouragement, they sent Barnabas to check things out. So we read in Acts 11, verse 22, the news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem And they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. And after Barnabas arrived and he gave his hearty approval that this was a genuine work of God, what did he do then? Then he set off to find Saul of Tarsus, who is now a converted person, in order to ask Saul, later known as Paul, to join him as one of the teachers of this church at Antioch. And so we read Acts 11, 25 through 26. And he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for an entire year, they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Now, the significance of this church at Antioch was that not only was it predominantly made up of Gentiles, but it would be from this very church that the gospel would be officially launched to go into the Gentile world, because it was from this church that Paul and Barnabas would be sent out as missionaries to the Gentiles. And thus we read now Acts 13, verses 1 through 3. Now there were at Antioch in the church that was there prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manion, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. Now with this sending off of Paul and Barnabas to the Gentiles, we now have the start of the fulfillment of our Lord's command that the gospel be proclaimed in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost ends of the earth. And from this point on, as the saying goes, the rest is history.
And you, as Gentiles who have believed in Christ, are the beneficiaries of this missionary endeavor. What I want you to see from all of these verses in Acts, that all of these verses are connected. They are divine links connecting all of these events back to what took place at the home of Cornelius, namely that the gospel was preached to a group of Gentiles for the very first time and their positive response to what they heard. You see, in this last section in Acts 10, Luke focuses on this very thing as he tells us about the Gentiles responding to Peter's word by accepting Christ as their Savior and Lord. And what Luke does in these verses isn't simply to tell us that they believed on Christ. He shows us, note this, the genuineness of their faith by showing us that their experience in coming to Christ was exactly the same as the experience of Jewish people in coming to faith in Christ. So from a historical standpoint, this section is critically important because it revealed to the early church that Gentiles could receive Christ and become part of the body of Christ. They didn't have to become Jews first. They could become believers simply by believing just the same as Jewish people, just saved by grace through faith alone. But in addition, these verses, though certainly historically significant, they're extremely practical in nature as well, because in showing us the genuineness of the conversion of these Gentiles, Luke at the same time is revealing what a genuine conversion looks like in the life of any believer in Christ. In other words, in telling us how we know that these Gentiles were truly converted, We gain insight and hopefully assurance of salvation concerning our own faith in Christ because the same evidence of salvation in the lives of Cornelius and his household will also be, at least in principle, in our own lives. So this morning, as we conclude our study of Acts chapter 10, we find that Luke reveals not only the story of the conversion of these Gentiles, but that the testimony that their conversion was genuine. That's what he's telling us. It was genuine. It was real. And it was genuine, Luke tells us, because of three things that were evident in their lives. But before Luke tells us about the evidences of their conversion, he first tells us when and how these Gentiles came to be converted. Notice what he tells us happened as Peter was giving his gospel presentation, verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. Now what we read here is that while Peter was still giving his sermon, having already explained the content of the message of the gospel, and in addition that everyone who believes in Christ, as the prophets have all said, receives the forgiveness of their sins. While he was doing this, his sermon was suddenly interrupted by the Holy Spirit falling upon these Gentiles. Now, in a moment, we'll look at their experience of the Holy Spirit falling upon them. But what I want you to understand is that what Luke is telling us, without explicitly stating it, is that while Peter was explaining the gospel to them, and that forgiveness of their sins was available to them by faith in Christ, they, while he was still preaching, placed their faith in Christ. In other words, even while Peter was still giving his message, they were believing on Jesus Christ for salvation. 
And what this tells us is something very important for our modern evangelical American Christian ears to hear. And that is that people in a church can respond to the gospel message by believing in Christ without an altar call. Now, for those of you who are not familiar with this term, altar call, it is a reference to a practice that's found in many Bible-believing churches that at the end of a sermon, the pastor tells the congregation that if anyone wants to be saved, they must walk down the aisle of the church and come to the front, then pray the sinner's prayer of salvation with the counselor who is waiting for them. And often this altar call is accompanied by soft organ music playing in the background to set the mood and encourage individuals to come forward. Now, aside from the fact that this approach to evangelism isn't found in Scripture, being invented just a little over 100 years ago in the northeastern part of the United States, there is a great danger in using this approach. Namely, that it gives the impression that salvation comes by walking a church aisle and praying the sinner's prayer, regardless of the fact that those who do this often have very little understanding of the gospel. What scripture teaches is that salvation comes when we place our faith in Jesus Christ alone for our salvation as a result of God's sovereign work in our hearts, of conviction of our sin, enlightenment, regeneration by the Holy Spirit. Now let me just clarify, it's very right to invite sinners to trust Christ for salvation. We ought to be doing that. In fact, Peter did this when Peter said that all the prophets say that if you believe in Messiah, there'll be forgiveness of sins. That's his invitation. It's perfectly fine. It's right. It's appropriate. It's God honoring to invite people to trust Christ. But the Lord doesn't need any man-made manipulation. The Lord doesn't need any man-made devices to bring a sinner to himself. He's the one who grants repentance and faith to sinners for salvation. And he can do this at any time and under any circumstances. In the case of Cornelius and his circle of Gentile family and friends, the moment they came to believe in Christ for salvation was while Peter was still preaching. I can recall an experience that I had when I was a student at Bible college that made me aware, even back then, of how many Christians tend to equate salvation with something other than faith alone. One day I was in a rather large class, I believe it was a class on systematic theology, and the teacher asked the class, was there anyone here who thought that an individual could be saved without praying a prayer of salvation? And in this large class, only I, lonely I, had my hand raised. I was the only one that day to respond to that question. I raised my hand when the teacher asked me why I raised my hand. I said that the Bible says that one is saved by faith and not by saying a prayer. And to my delight and to my relief, the teacher agreed with me. Now, it is true that in Romans chapter 10, the Apostle Paul says that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved, but it isn't the praying that saves you. It's the faith expressed in that prayer that is the means of salvation. 
Cornelius and his friends, they didn't pray a prayer of salvation. They didn't go forward in a church setting. They just believed the gospel. And they were converted right then and there. And the proof that they were genuinely converted is revealed by what happened to them the moment they believed. And in telling us this, Luke reveals that the first evidence of the genuineness of their salvation was that, number one, the Holy Spirit came upon them. We read in verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. Now, the New Testament makes it abundantly clear that once a person comes to faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit, who is the third person of the Trinity, the triune Godhead, the Holy Spirit comes to permanently indwell them. That's taught in the New Testament letters very, very clearly. So we read in Romans 8, verse 9, However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Paul said, but if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. All believers have the spirit of Christ. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Now, the only exception, the only exception to the Holy Spirit immediately indwelling A believer was when the Samaritans came to believe in Christ back in Acts chapter 8. In those verses, Luke told us that although they were believers, they came to faith in Christ, the Lord did not give the Holy Spirit to them at the time of their conversion. But he waited until Peter and John, two apostles, arrived. So what's the reason for this exception? I'm going to do something that I don't know if I've ever done. I'm going to quote to you from me, from a sermon. I wrote in my notes. I always write who I'm quoting from. Strange to put Kreloff. But anyway, here's what I said to you when we have this message from Acts chapter 8. I said, and I repeat, why was there any delay between the time the Samaritans received Christ and the coming of the Holy Spirit to indwell them. Certainly this isn't the norm, because the New Testament letters make it abundantly clear that one receives the Holy Spirit immediately upon receiving Christ. So obviously, there was a reason God chose to do this differently in Samaria. And the reason for this is that he wanted to make a very clear announcement concerning the unity of his church, that what was going on in Samaria wasn't an unauthorized offshoot of Christianity that had been experienced in Jerusalem. He wanted everyone to understand that Samaritans were part of the same gospel and the same body of believers as the Jewish Christians in the city of Jerusalem. So this is why the church at Jerusalem sent to Samaria two apostles, Peter and John, to see if the Samaritans had truly accepted Christ. And once these two apostles were satisfied that they were true believers, they laid their hands on them and prayed that they would receive the Holy Spirit, and they did. Listen, what happened in Samaria, that wasn't the norm. It was very unique. It was really part of the transitional nature of the early church and the book of Acts, where we read about things that were never intended to be repeated again, and therefore they are not For today, today God doesn't delay in the giving of his spirit because there's no need to do this. His church has been established for over 2,000 years and we have the normative teaching for believers in the New Testament 
letters where we learn that the Spirit is given to believers at the very time of their conversion. And what happened with Cornelius and his friends was in keeping with that norm. They believed on Christ and immediately the Spirit of God came to indwell them. Question is, how did Peter know this? How did Peter know that the Spirit had fallen on these Gentiles? After all, the Holy Spirit is an invisible being. That's why he is spirit. It's not physical. And therefore, he isn't observable to us. We don't see the Holy Spirit. So what was it that made Peter so certain that the Spirit had come upon Cornelius and his circle? In Romans chapter 10, the Apostle Paul wrote that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It is important to note that it isn't the praying that saves a person. It's the faith expressed in that prayer that is the means of salvation. As we saw in Acts chapter 10, Cornelius and his friends did not pray a prayer of salvation. They didn't go forward in a church setting. They just believed the gospel and they were converted right then and there. The chapter we are studying in Acts is monumental in its impact and scope. We could call it a paradigm shift because it was now obvious the gospel was for the Gentiles as well as the Jews. And we're out of time on today's verse-by-verse program, but I invite you to join us next time as we continue to study Acts chapter 10 with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.